Hi there, and welcome to Fantasy for the Ages, the show where a father and son sit down and talk about fantasy literature. Uh, I'm the son in that equation, Zach. And I'm Jim, the father, and it is so great to have you with us today. Hopefully we sound absolutely amazing on this episode. Yeah, not only have I upgraded my mic from a couple episodes ago, but uh, while editing, my dad developed heard... a severe case of covetousness. Yes, he heard that uh, he didn't sound as good, so he decided to get the exact same thing I got. Yep, so we're both set up here. We'll have to get a shot for Instagram, put it on here. So we're both sitting here with our computers, with our Yeti mic setups, and with our alcoholic beverages, and life is wonderful all the time. Woo! <laughs> well, some initial notes for starting our episode here today. Somehow, Zach, it appears we offended the people of Norway. Oops. I don't know what happened, but the Norwegian listeners disappeared this week. Then again, I cannot confirm that Norway didn't simply disappear this week. I'm pretty sure they didn't, but if you are listening to this and you're from Norway, we still love you. Don't worry. Yeah, and in fact, let us know you're still there. We'll, we'll still take the love. On the flip side, followers in France continue to increase now our largest percentage of international listeners. Wow. Great to have you. You continue to be joined by people in locations around the globe, but France has a big lead on the rest. The only country in the world that's beating out France, of course, is our home country, the United States. Okay. Our greatest number of listeners in America continue to be in the Portland metro area. That makes sense. It's where we are. That makes zero sense. Yeah, we this don't have any internet. friends here that are no. listening to us. The internet makes that <laughs> irrelevant. Sorry. They're followed by the Arlington and Dallas, Texas metro areas, then Seattle, Washington, Wichita, Kansas, and New York City. So a bit everywhere. Yeah. And there are individual listeners all over the country, but those are our clusters. Wherever you are, thank you for listening, and please help us out. Spread the word. We love our growing number of listeners. On the topic of people listening to the podcast, we hit a little bit of a milestone this week. We did. We've been doing this for about two months now. We hit, for the first time for an episode, 200 total plays and downloads. Now even higher. And our 30-day play and download total is just a little bit over 500. Yeah, we're having some great fun. You know, we're just talking our fantasy fiction love here. Oh, yeah. I expected about five people to listen to this. <laughs> True that. He has been shocked that there's actually people listening to the podcast. But, you know, you're out there. You enjoy what we enjoy. Uh, we super appreciate your tuning in for something we're just trying to put into a format that you will also enjoy. Let me give a quick format update on the podcast. Uh, assessing our schedule and our goals for what we want to do in this podcast, we've made a couple of decisions for moving forward. Just a couple. Yeah. One, you'll see us typically tackling larger chunks of the books each episode now. Yeah, truthfully, we we love the series we're working on right now. The Wheel of Time, absolute favorite to an extent. We could talk on and on on every chapter. However, um, it's not the only series we want to cover. So we do want to get through it in fewer than five years. Exactly. Now, we won't sacrifice quality, but if you are a first-time reader trying to keep up with us, don't let us rush you. Remember, it's a podcast. These episodes are recorded. You are in control. Listen at your own rate. That's right. Second, we really enjoyed bringing you our recent midweek special. 
and all the plays and downloads suggest people are enjoying following it too. And we want to offer you those kinds of episodes more consistently, so we've committed to putting one of those out every fifth episode. That works out to about one of these, I guess, special midweek episodes a month. So again, if you have ideas for ones you'd like us to focus on, let us know. You can email us again at fantasyfortheages at gmail.com or connect with us on Discord or any of our other social media options. Links, of course, down in our show notes. Absolutely. We are willing and able to come up with ideas on our own, but personally, I'd rather you do some of the work for us (laughs) so that that way we at least know that you are interested in what you're hearing. It seems a wise thing for them to tell us what they'd like to hear than only for us to decide what they would like to hear. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But speaking of what we think they'd like to hear. Shall we get get into into the book? Yeah, let's get into our content for today. We're working through chapters 17 through 20 of The Eye of the World. We begin with chapter 17 called Watchers and Hunters. We're still in Berlon at the Stag and Lion. Mm -hmm. Same evening, Nynaeve caught up with the company. Rand wanders to the common room. He wants to get his mind off all the things that seem to be coming at him in the midst of this. He connects with Perrin and Matt. They're enjoying some great storytelling by the Gleeman, Tom. Mm-hmm. After some time, Tom moves to playing songs, which leads to dancing. Pause. Yes? This brings up something that happens not all the time in this book or this series, but often enough, and I kind of want to just float it by you, there are a lot of poems or songs that show up. Yes. Do you read them? I do. Because... And everyone should. I want to. I really do. And I force myself to, because I know that authors put a lot of work into this. And often... Some more than others. Yeah. But often these stories are subtle ways of giving a whole lot of information that we shouldn't know yet. Yeah. There's nothing subtle in Robert Jordan. These things are loaded with Information dumps and even foreshadowings. Anytime the paragraph looks a little bit different, it's funky, it's indented, it's italicized, it's something wrong. It's just my brain immediately wants to go to, I don't care. You were trained by Tolkien. Because, man, his songs and poems, he just liked to write beautiful, pretty stuff. And it didn't always have much relevance. It gets worse because I've, I've been reading through the Mistborn trilogy now. And in the first book, there are sometimes whole sections of chapters that are books that the characters are reading. (laughs) And I'm sitting here going, I'm reading a book within a book. I'm interested. I'm doing it. I know it's important, but I don't care. (laughs) Yet there's a reason it's there. But I will say here in Wheel of Time, all of these songs, all of these poems, uh, stories, they're all highly relevant to what you're going to need to know as the story reveals. So please, do not be deterred by Zach's suggestion. And my suggestion, on a first read, you don't have to read them. On a second read, if you don't read them, you're doing a major disservice. (laughs) Okay. Well, dancing has begun. It has. It has. And the boys, they jump in. So does nearly everybody else in the common room, including, to Rand's surprise, Nynaeve and Moraine. He ends up dancing with both of them and practically turns into two left feet. He's so shocked. Yeah. Honestly, he notices as he looks around and they're dancing, only one person in the whole room not interested in dancing. There's this nasty looking guy with a big scar across his face sitting by the fireplace, one of the fireplaces, 
scowling Mm -hmm. at Rand every time he looks. But as far as Rand can tell, he's scowling at everybody. Well, it is noticed a little bit later on that he's scowling at a couple people in particular, if only because a few people notice they're making eye contact with him and he is with them. He doesn't like people looking at him, perhaps. It's specifically Rand and Matt. But he may have been scowling at lots of people. It doesn't say he only scowled at two people. No, but the two of them mention it, which makes sense because of who Land says he is. Now you're getting ahead of yourself, just a little. It's in the next paragraph in your notes. Exactly, it's in the next paragraph. You're getting ahead of yourself. That's literally <laughs> the next thing we're talking about. Oh, okay, so since <laughs> Zach wants to go there, the festivities do finally die down, and the women, you know, it's, it's after midnight, they turn in, the boys, they share notes including Lan, and he reveals... This guy's apparently a spy for the White Cloaks, which, if you remember from the previous chapters, Matt and Rand were messing with them. So... But Lan's like, so this shouldn't be a problem. You know, he's a White Cloak guy. We were here keeping our heads down. He won't even bother us. And Matt and Rand privately go, we weren't really keeping our heads down. Sorry. Oops. Now, a note about the White Cloaks. In preparing for this one, it crossed my mind that when we had an interaction between Rand and Matt and the White Cloaks in the previous chapter, we did not highlight the fact that the head of that White Cloak bunch, the one kind of leading the charge, was named, and we said nothing about it. Now, granted, there are over 2,000 named characters in this book. Well, books. Many times, named characters become significant later. This Sometimes is one of them. they don't. We should do a service for our listeners and make we sure should. they do know. So, Dane Bornhold. Remember the name. Bornhold, yeah. I said Bornhold. No, Bornhold. Say it how you will. It's the Norwegian pronunciation. <laughs> Sorry, Norwegian. Bornhold. Okay, so you want to know that name. Tom joins up with the group then, and Lan notes, Hey, we're leaving at first light. We should be turning in. So they all head up to the rooms. But Rand, he diverts to the kitchen. He wants to get a glass of milk. He's hoping it will help him sleep. And, oh, please, no more dreams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Land says, okay, but, hey, don't wander off. Something doesn't feel quite right this evening. Something's wrong. And we're going to be leaving first thing in the morning. Yeah. So Rand, he just, yeah, he gets the milk, downs it, heading back from the kitchen, and... A fade confronts him right in the middle of the inn. Well, shit. It identifies him as one of them and demands to know where the others are. And Rand is frozen in terror and completely speechless. Mm -hmm. The merge roll pulls his sword, could easily kill Rand, but holds off, announcing, you want to try a fade voice? You belong to the great lord of the dark. You are his. Now go ahead and clear the frog out of your throat. <clears throat> Sorry, you belong to the great yeah. <laughs> At a clatter of boots approaching, the fade disappears into a shadow. Just as he's gone, Lan leaps down the last bit of the stairs. Ha-ha! But no one to see. So I have three things here that I want to mention. All right. The first is that I have to unfortunately admit when I'm wrong. We had a discussion a while back about Wait, let fades. Let me write this down. Hold on. Okay. You you were wrong mm-hmm. about the date and time. Okay, go on. We had a discussion about what fades look like, and that I liked them having still the musculature bone structure as if they had eyes, but without eyes. Mm-hmm. And you liked the just flat face. Yep. 
And here we get another description of it, and it says, The man's face, but pasty white, like like a slug under a rock and eyeless, from oily black hair to puffy cheeks, as smooth as an eggshell. There you go. And that, to me, clear as day says, no, no, no. Hairline to his lips. It's smooth. Hopefully, Amazon Prime is paying attention to that and gets it right in the TV show. It's it's listed there. Yeah. I don't like that. <laughs> but it's true. All right. Um, second thing. Yeah, you said you had three things. Yeah. This one's just a really fun thing that I noticed as I was reading here. Mm-hmm. Jordan has amazing word choice. He's talking about Rand feeling queasy not liking all this he's afraid and it talks about his stomach curdling and i just With love milk it. yeah he curdling. drank milk and so his expression of fear is the milk curdling it's so much fear that literally the milk is afraid i yeah. love that now now what is that he drank milk 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 yeah our minnesota listeners are going that's right milk I'll yeah. say it as much as, as many ways as I want, as Milk. much as I want. It's an eye. Okay. I'm going to say it a different way every time tonight <laughs> now. The third thing, you kind of touched on this. The Fade straight up swings the sword at Rand and then chooses to stop. Yep. yep. Imagine how different this series would have been if he didn't. There wouldn't really be a series. Oh, no, then. there would. We know things that there would. It would just be very different. Short. We're not going to go too much into that. I just, just want to throw that out there. All right. So, okay, a fade has found them in the hotel. Change of plan. We're not leaving at first light. It's time to go now. They gather in the stable yard, everybody. And Moraine is there insisting to Master Fitch, the innkeeper, that he be on guard for trouble. That there could be dark friends or even something worse coming back to the inn at any time. I can handle trouble. Me and my boys will just rough them up. That's what he says. She insists. No, if someone comes, make no resistance. Tell them whatever they need. Or you're just going to have trouble. But yeah, he's kind of dismissive. He's blowing it off. Yeah. Quickly enough, the company is quietly riding towards one of the town gates. Which is closed. As we mentioned when they entered... They've been keeping the gates closed at night. By the governor's orders. Why? Because supposedly there have been a number of increases in the uh, wild factions of the world, wolves and the sort, as well as a presence of white cloaks outside the city, some of them allowed in the city, and wanting to deter that a little bit. Of course, anybody who shadily tries to show up at two in the morning is probably up to no good. No, no, they totally just are looking for, like, a warm glass of milk. I took a left turn at Albuquerque, and I'm a little late. Oops. Yeah. We're going to try to get out now at, like, two in the morning. I don't know, maybe one in the morning, something like that. Lan, he has to make a bit of a ruckus at the Watchmen of the Gate's quarters, because nobody's up. You know, they're, they're closed. He's insistent. We need to go. We need to go now. But again, uh, these things are closed from sundown to sunup. Moraine points out, well, uh, I understand. The governor's rule, but it's to keep people out. All that no good riffraff out there, it says nothing about keeping people in. Yeah, he specifically said don't let anyone new into the city. We, We clearly were acceptable already. So, come on. Let us out. And Lan slips a little coinage into the good man's hand. And sure enough, he goes to roust his people and we're going to get the doors open. 
But before they can get out. Uh-oh, here come some white cloaks. Up five, to no good. Five white cloaks show up going, uh, excuse me, what is going on here? They figure anyone trying to sneak out in the middle of the night must be a dark friend. Well, and we get a very clear notion here that the white cloaks are more or less trying to gaslight the entire world. Um, they literally say the words, the children, like they get told, you don't have power here. You're not in charge. And they get, they say, no, no, the children of the light hold sway wherever men walk in the light. Only where the shadow of the dark one reigns are the children denied. Yes? Yeah, it is so skewed. If you question us, dark friend, dark friend. And they are being incredibly manipulative all in the name of doing good. This is their version of good. It makes my skin crawl. Yeah. Hey, guess who the leader of this group of five is? Is it Dane? Dane Bornhold. What a buddy. And so Lan, he's just going to try to talk his way past these guys. I mean, as soon as White Cloaks show up, Moraine takes a back seat because that's a trigger for the White Cloaks. They really don't like Aes Sedai. They assume if you're using the one power, that's of the evil one. Nobody should touch this. So they will try to strike down an Aes Sedai on sight. So she's in the background. Land's going to get them through it, but it's not working. He's not able to talk his way past them. So at that point, it's time to go to plan, you know, ignore the plan. Well, before the ignore the plan happens, what really makes it blow up? I mean, Lan is having a tough time talking them through, but what triggers Dane Bornhold to definitely hold his guns? These guys are bad guys. If I'm being, like, reading deep into it, Taviran. If I'm being not deep into it, it's still Taviran, but it's... It's a specific Taviran. Rand who tries to, I'm just gonna be not my six foot eight self or something. Yeah, big tall Rand tries to duck Mm. out of the way, catches Dane's eyes, and and Dane's like, you! Yeah. You were the one who was laughing at me in the face. That must mean you're a dark friend. And so he's like, we are going to arrest them. You have, you almost did a horrible thing, gatekeeper. We have saved your bacon. And now Moraine steps up. And she basically uses the one power to try to intimidate the White Cloaks. Surely you're not going to interfere with us. And she's looking a little larger and spookier with clouds and shadow stuff whirling around and... I'm not sure it has the reaction that she was going for. Well, those are some weird things. They definitely, like, go to try and attack her. and uh, Well, and that's the thing. I'm not sure she was thinking that would happen like that, because four of them back up a little. But Dane, he pulls his sword, and I die, kill her! That <laughs> brave, foolhardy idiot. No hesitation at all. Moraine pulls her staff and blocks his knife swing with it. Oh, yeah, the most important staff ever. Yeah, let's talk about that staff for a moment. (laughs) The most important staff ever that you'll never see again after the first book. The staff that is used more or less to be a crutch for the reader so that we think that these things are important. And this will come up just a little later. Okay. So I don't want to spill it yet. Oh, good. Yeah, she's got a staff. Don't get used to it. Let's just say that. But she does something cool with it here. She blocks his blow. Sparks go flying, and the power flows from Moraine through this staff and knocks Bornhold right back into the other four guys. And there's a whole spray of sparks and everything. Yeah, it's quite the light show. And then she gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And And we we don't mean she's getting fat. We mean she's getting like a giant. She's 
a proportion. Think Ant Man, okay? Ant Man. Yeah. She is proportionately growing larger. They're all freaking out about this, and she's like to the others, "Go!" Oh. <laughs> I mean, says it with her eyes. They're all ducking out the gate now because mm-hmm. the gate was part way open. They can get out one at a time, and they make it pretty much clear. And when Moraine is so tall, she steps over the gate and leaves the town. <laughs> steps over the walls. And then the gates close. The white cloaks are like, no, don't close it. We have to go get them. But the the watchers of the gate, they're like, nope, we're done. Now everybody's outside looking at Moraine. They see her walk over the (laughs) the wall. They're like, ha, the Emmonsfield people are... You're big. What in the world? And Moraine shows up at their side again, just perfectly normal. Mm -hmm. And Egwene even says, you were like giant size. And Moraine's like... Eh, was I? Things are not always what they appear. So what do you think? Did she grow like Ant-Man? Oh, no. Was this pure illusion? Was it something in between? I like to think of this one as, and it's going to be a little bit funky to view it this way, especially because we only know so much about the power at this point. I like to view it as Jedi mind tricks. She's using largely spirit with a little bit of other things to give loose visual impressions and then interacting with the mind of everyone around her to give a, what do you think you're seeing? What are you perceiving? She's tricking their minds. Even her own people though, yeah. are tricked by it. It's, so it's more just, just a, a blanket wave. projection. Yeah. Interesting. And I view it kind of as a, these are not the droids you're looking for. Mm-hmm. And I, I you can, could overcome that potentially. I could roll with that. I totally am no on board it. that she was not physically 50 feet tall now. No. And just, even to the extent of, if you want to say, well, how did a sword blade crash into an illusion well that's where the little bits of air or fire come in to have a physical barrier that the sword runs into okay well they are escaped from barrelon and the gates are closed and nobody can follow them from the town the emmonsfield folk and moraine and lan and tom they're all with it together now and they begin their journey up the road not rushing but steadily moving on they do see behind them after a while that there's fire in Berlan. They're pretty sure that's the stag and lion now. Well, she did warn him. She did. Nynaeve gets pretty upset, though, that when they see it, they're like, ugh. Marine, Moraine even says it. I told him to take this seriously. You know, he just didn't listen. But, you know, basically they're saying, huh, what will be will be. And Nynaeve is ticked. She's like, you don't even care. What is wrong with you? Nynaeve, she cares, but it's more important. And that's the point she definitely makes, as does Lan. The mission is far more important than the collateral damage. Really, this is the first time we truly see a good depiction of what's the blue Aja do? In my opinion, the mission is more important. Crusade is everything. Nynaeve still feels pretty judgmental. She's like, I would have done something. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. Yes, it is. They ride a few hours on, then pull off the roadways, make camp, still in the dark, just for a brief rest. The Emmonsfield folk, they chat just briefly. We learn from that that their illusion of safety, now they were out of the two rivers, is completely shattered. They got it now. There's nowhere that they can be safe. You will be followed, hunted, killed if can. Also, we see their perception of Moraine 
deteriorating. Man, she's scary, and she just let this other inn get burned down. I would have done something. It's pretty callous. And they get the clear point. She will do whatever it takes to achieve the goals. Man, I'm definitely not telling her about those scary dreams where I got told I might get claimed by the Dark One now. That's right. Won't let the Dark One have them. Uh-uh. That finishes chapter 17. Chapter 18 is called The Camelin Road, and it sees our company journeying on toward the next town, Whitebridge. It's kind of funny because it's called the Camelin Road, but I don't really view it in my brain as them actually being on the Camelin Road that much. But it does lead to Camelin. Technically. Yeah. There's nothing we discover between Barillon and Whitebridge. Just a bunch of wilderness uh, to either side. They're in between two rivers here. Mm -hmm. The Terran, which they've already crossed to get out of the two rivers, and the Arendelle, which they will need to cross at Whitebridge. But for a little bit of chunk of time, they're just traveling between the two rivers. <laughs> the two rivers. Wrong two rivers. Yeah, no, that was exactly where, where my brain was going. And I'm <laughs> like, that's not right. So they're traveling on through this. Now, it kind of does a circuitous route. And they question, why don't we just cut across instead of going this long way around? And it's because there's these hills in front of them that are not very passable. I mean, you can journey through them. But to go up and down and up and down It'll and up and down. It'll be slower than going around. Exactly. So they're going the long way around. There are a couple things that they start doing on this journey or that get mentioned that I want to draw attention to. Yeah. Partially because we'll see them over and over. First off, Nynaeve's a nerd. They start talking about, hey, we're tired. Or, man, what would I do for some tea? And Nynaeve just immediately picks up, hey, uh, yeah, like flat right tea with andalary root. That's that's great for fatigue. And Woman like, knows her herbs, man. But you're just pulling it out your brain. No one cares. You don't have those herbs right now. Stop being a nerd. I love you, Nynaeve. In fact. Let's stop. She's trying to push him on Moraine. She's, well, she needs him. She's like, psst, come here. I got some herbs. <laughs> the other thing we really see here, and this is one that I'm going to keep mentioning, fire. Egwene wants to make a fire. She wants to have tea. <laughs> and Lan says, no. No. No fire. That's how you get seeds. Stop it with the fire. And my brain here goes, I don't know about you, but I think Fellowship of the Ring. Mm -hmm. That moment on Weathertop. Well, the one time they do a fire, and yes. And that's when they get seen. And exactly. It's, it's Clearly, they did sense. not read the Fellowship of the Ring. But we will keep seeing people who do or don't make fires. <laughs> it matters. So as they're traveling through this wilderness, there's no towns, there's no farms, there's nothing. They know this. It's just a road, and they got to travel this distance. But they're still kind of tense because they know that when they left Barillon, they were being followed. The White Cloaks, no, they couldn't. But there's a fade that disappeared. You know, they... There are actual shadows spawn onto them. Yeah, and it's obvious that they fled at any point... They could be caught. So they're going slow and steady. Maybe not slow. They're definitely going steady. They're not going all out. No, they're going carefully at a quickened pace. Yes. As they're going, they do eventually hear horns behind them. Not just any old horns. They are trollic horns. Oh, joy. Well, shit. Again. Lan goes back to see what are we dealing with. And they're all like, are you nuts? And Nynaeve's like, no, 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 he'll be fine. They won't see him. Nynaeve? Oh, yeah, because yeah. she knows how well he tracks. She was tracking him. Covers his tracks. So they keep moving forward, leaves land. He catches back up with them a little later, and he basically says, oh, crap. We've got 
500 Trollocs and equal to 500. at least four, maybe five Myrdral leading them. It's not good. And then they hear horns in front of them. I guess there's more. They have Trollocs behind them, Trollocs ahead of them. Now they have to decide, we have to get off the road. Which way? Do we go north or south? To the south, that's where the Terran is again. The river they already got across. They don't want to go across that again. They'd just be in a worse way, and it wouldn't be easy to cross. And the land between the road and the river doesn't really offer much cover. So that leaves north. If they go to the north, they're going up into the hills, the difficult terrain, but there is wooded areas, and eventually they'll make it to the Aranel, the river they do want to get across at Whiteridge. So if they go to the river, maybe they can find a trader, a merchant on the river, and... Flag them down, yeah. get on a boat, and get to then White go Ridge. floating down the bayou. <laughs> so that's the plan. Let's go that way. Lan says, you know, there is a place up here. We could go where the Trollocs won't follow us. And Moraine's like, There's no. a reason <clears throat> we don't want to go there either. We are not talking about that. So they do. They head up that direction. And the Trollocs en masse are following and while they're trying to go from hill to hill and trees to trees, and, and so they can't avoid all yeah. the Myrdral and Trollocs. Their first encounter, one Myrdral, a bunch of Trollocs. And they're having a difficult time. Uh, Lan engages the Fade. Yes. And the others are attempting to interact, but... They're all doing their thing. Even, doing... The, even the girls, the Gwen yeah. and Nynaeve, they pull their belt knives. They're, they're doing their thing. kind of hiding by, behind it's Moraine, also very but they're ready. It's very clear that they're kind of losing that fight. Rand's got a catch pole around his neck at that point. But suddenly, all the Trollocs start thrashing down dead. Because Lan hacked the head off of the Myrdral. Which I want to be... I need to bring attention to this. It is a personal pet peeve of mine. Okay. In any sort of medium. Of fantasy. Of whatever. Lay it on us. Decapitation. Is hard. It, there is a lot of muscle... Uh, an esophagus, a windpipe, bones, ligaments, cartilage to get through. Remember the quality of the no, sword. No. I don't care about the quality of the sword here. Even if it's like always going to be sharp, always whatever, it's not going to generate more force. These are two men fighting on horseback. You cannot generate. Th it makes it sound like Lan, and I don't want to diss Lan because Lan is a super badass guy. He's the guy I want backing me in a fight, whether he's got a sword or not. I'm sorry, it is completely unbelievable that from horseback to another guy on horseback where they have been clashing swords, he manages in a single swipe to decapitate. You remember lightsaber? This isn't a lightsaber. Practically. No, it's not. It's a power rock blade. And that does nothing except make it able. Super sharp and never dulls. That th sharpness does not impact the amount of force or the ease of cutting to that extent. It helps, but it does not do that. All right, dude. Let it go. It is fantasy. I, <laughs> I love it. It's real. It's a really cool cinematic moment. Maybe he jumped off his horse. No, jumped onto no. the Fade's horse Just, and chopped. His then head he off. doesn't have the range of motion. He's too close. Uh, it's fine. I love it. I love the moment. This is his horse to die on. This episode. Yeah. No. <laughs> Decapitation. Whether it is a execution with like a headsman or just in the midst of battle or whatever it is not as easy as anything makes it seem 
I think if any Norwegians had checked back in, we might have just lost them by overdoing decapitation. No, I think they're on my side. I think they will (laughs) die on this horse with me because it's one that's worth dying on because it's true. History believes it. That's why we invented a guillotine. We get to see firsthand, though, that when a Myrdral dies, two things happen. It can psychically connect with Trollocs and any that it was connected with are incapacitated when that happens. And second, the Myrdral doesn't instantly die. It won't die until sundown or sunrise. Uh, I want to say it's sunrise. I think it's sunrise. I should check. Which would make sense because more often they're probably out at night. Give me a second to check because I'm near the page. But it doesn't die instantly. It's dead, but it's still flailing around. And if you got nearby, it could still hit you with its sword. It's, it's not going to stop hacking, twitching, moving until I believe it's sunrise. For the sake of we are recording, I was literally saying we could just like pause for a second. I'll find it. If it's that important, they can always look it up themselves. I want to find it for me. Okay, you keep looking. I'm going on. So they ride on. There are horns sounding all around them. They come upon a much larger group, this time multiple Mirdral, far more Trollocs. Moraine takes a direct hand with some wicked stuff with the one power. Mass destruction with exploding earth and gouts of fire and successfully takes out a lot of them. Pretty much all of them. But that kind of drains her because she notes, I'm not really strong with earth and fire. It's much harder for me. Did you find our answer? Yeah, I'm sorry to go back. I did find Just it. Just do it. Um, one, nightfall. So sundown. Sundown. Two, Tom's the one who says it. Yes, I knew that. Which to me says it might be accurate. It's probably accurate. Land didn't correct him. He knows it from stories, not from experience. So anyways, Moraine, nuclear option on those. Doesn't matter what they do, though. They keep running into more fades and trollocs. They keep fleeing. They end up eventually at a huge deserted city. I mean, huge it's deserted city. It's so big city. that they first see it and they go, hey, it's a big cliff. Oh, crap. That's a tower. And it's here in the middle of nowhere. It's completely deserted. This is the place Lan had suggested they go. And Moraine didn't want to. She wanted to avoid this. But I guess we go in. They name it, it's Eridhal, now called Shedderlogoth. Because that's not a sus name at all. <laughs> Even the Trollocs <laughs> would prefer to avoid it, but hey, this we'll is our go. place. Vacant. Let's go. Now, before we move into the next chapter... This is actually exactly what I wanted to go back to, good, too. Good, <laughs> good. Let's talk about these battle cries. We glossed over them, but when uh-huh. they were facing all these Trollocs, uh, the guys have battle cries. And they all mean something. There's significance. Well, One of them, a lot of is, them are kind of is Lan. He says, for the seven towers. And Rand yells, Manetherin, which Perrin then yells as well. Matt yells, cry on Kaldazar, cry on Elisanda, Elisanda. What? <laughs> Sorry for anyone who speaks that non-existent language right. and the pronunciation. For the Seven Towers is something personal to Lan, and we'll learn about that later. So just remember that. That means something regarding Lan. Manetherin, we know where that ties in because of the story Moraine told about the two rivers. That's where the two rivers folk hail from. And Tom's been telling them more when the boys ask. Yeah. But what Matt shouted? That's a bit strange. It's not even common. It's just mumbo-jumbo? What? 
Egwene brings it up later, and Matt looks kind of uncomfortable because I don't know where he it does, came from. He doesn't even know why he said it. It just kind of came out. It felt right at the moment. It was the heat of the moment. <laughs> we gotta stop now for copyright reasons. <laughs> Moraine reveals Matt was speaking the old tongue. Which, for the record, Matt has never learned. It's not like an elective he took in no, farm school. he would have skipped that class. He skips most classes. And the translation Moraine shares is, For the honor of the Red Eagle, for the honor of the Rose of the Sun, the Rose of the Sun, which was the ancient war cry of Amon, last king of Manetheran. So that's cool. And what the heck? Uh, <laughs> Just comes out? Which brings a slight aside for a moment. We've seen Baalsamon in dreams at this point speaking to Rand in a language that Rand understands. When did they speak the old tongue? The Age of Legends. Then how come all the people from then speak common? There is actually a reason for that. Is it listed in the White Book? Yes. What's, what is this reason? Because as far as I know, there's no now, one power way to just learn new languages. you're spoiling too much here, though. I mean, we've talked about some of this in our Age of Legends episode. I'm just talking past okay. precedent precedents. The person in the dream went in there. Harkens back to long ago, but he has been around. He has been aware of what's happening in the world, so he has adapted his language to the common tongue. But there are people similar eventually that aren't like that. Not true. The theory is that even though they were trapped, they were still aware of what was happening in the world. But there's no people there from them to learn from. No, and no, they, they could the from one the power, greater world. They the could. one power doesn't allow scrying. I D&D. I use <laughs> these spells. The one power does not do that. The other thing is that when these people... Wow, we're, we're really keeping this kind of mystical. But those of you who have listened and, and know this all already understand, you understand what we're talking about. Frustration. No, they, when they get out of where they are trapped... They take the time to learn. They're very intelligent, very powerful, and they figure okay. this stuff out pretty quickly. Okay, let's take a small step further. Would it be fair then to say somewhere between Trolloc Wars and the next big thing that happened that we talked about, that somewhere in that chunk, the old tongue kind of died out? It did. Okay. Because yeah. my thought process being other... Old Tongue died out pretty quick after the breaking, actually. But it would have had to exist for another loosely thousand years. Not a full thousand. If the war cry of Manetherin oh, yeah, is you in got the me. Old Tongue. You got me. Unless the Age of Legends is an older tongue. And the Old Tongue was already starting to change. Exactly. I'm not sure that the Old Tongue was even spoken in the Age of Legends. <laughs> they spoke English. But it's like <laughs> it was there for like two seconds they and then it was gone. They spoke Norwegian. They spoke whatever we want. They didn't speak the language we're reading, I'll tell you that. That's why we call it common. Okay. That was a huge tangent. I am sorry, kind Let's of. Let's go to chapter 19. I think there are people out there waiting for Zach to go off on a tangent, though. They're, they have a, they have a uh, what's the word I want? A betting pool? They have a pool. I don't know. How this, often it will happen? This when is, in the episode he'll go off the rail? This episode is going to be tangent heavy for Zach because... I prepared. Well, no, not only did I prepare, which I do sometimes, um, but I also don't have work or clinicals tomorrow. It's my first day off in like a month. So uh, I've drank more this month than I have or 
more tonight than I have this month prior. Well, there you go. This it's public service announcement to everyone under 21. <laughs> it's not a lot. It's just more. Chapter 19, Shadows Waiting. Our group slowly rides into this abandoned city. It's huge. Marble palaces, fountains, towers, huge high dome structures, monuments, and statues. Now, much of it is crumbled and broken, but not all of it. It's still pretty awe-inspiring, especially for these two rivers folk. They soon enough stop in front of one of the more still-holding-together buildings, and Moraine and Lan lead them to settle in as a place to rest. Moraine is clearly exhausted. Remember, she can help others with healing, but she can't heal herself. She can't deal with the exhaustion. She just has to rest eventually. Moraine needs a nap. And Nynaeve knows this and tries to do her, I'm pushing some herbs on you again. Let me give you some tea. This time, Moraine's like, you know, okay, okay. Do you have something that'll help me sleep but not make me groggy? And if we add into this, Moraine did just expend a large bit of power Yep. She was already exhausted. She got a little bit of rest in Berlon, but not a lot. And then, well, that little bit you charged, you just burnt that times 10. So they're taking care of that. The boys are out in the front of the place, taking care of the horses, settling them, you know, brushing them down and all that. Mm-hmm. Tom is with them. As they're doing this, Matt comments about that war cry he gave now. He's still a little freaked out. I mean... What does that mean, that a language he's never learned, never even heard, is spewing out of him? Perrin wisecracks. Well, you know, as Moraine said, it's Eamon's war cry. Maybe your Eamon come back again. And Tom's like, don't joke about that. It's actually possible. Dead people come back. I say dead people. Hmm. He emphasizes, though, that Moraine was talking about the old blood. Mm-hmm. In essence, genetic memories. Which is an entire concept in and of itself. It does not get it does not get explored to the extent that it could in this series. But it's, it gets used. It's prevalent, but yes. it is not delved into. And it is a very science fiction concept rather than fantasy. But it is so interesting. But Tom is basically using a Game of Thrones trope here. He's saying it is known, <laughs> and then he says, "Now, don't worry about it. Just forget about it." You're fine. And he wanders off to another room. He's going to go have a smoke. Shaking off the willies about all this, Matt suggests, hey, we've still got a little daylight. Let's go explore this freaking place. Yeah, I mean, they were trying to explore Berlon, which they thought was a city. And now they're in something that, wow, this is massive. Berlon fits into a city block. Mm-hmm. I saw something. This is kind of taking a, a left turn for a moment. Let's but I saw something field. on Twitter where people theorized Arid Hall, all the monuments and statues and dome structures and all, Washington, D.C. I'd believe it. <laughs> I mean, but that's what Jordan had in mind. And then when we talk about how it became what it became, it maybe still fits Washington, nah, D.C. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think the world quite fits the age timing. Yeah. But the idea of that kind of yeah. place, sure. But so they're going to... You know, Matt really wants to go explore. Now, uh, you know, parents like, maybe we should check with Moraine. And Matt's like, uh, really, dude? Moraine will say no. And if Nynaeve hears, she's not going to let us out of her sight. Come on. But Moraine already said this place is safe. That's yeah. why we're here. The Trollocs won't even come in here. 
And there's no white cloaks. <laughs> he looks at Rand. <laughs> Notice, Moraine never said it was safe, just that the Trollocs won't come in here. We hear what we want to hear. So he basically, Matt, badgers them into agreeing, and off they go. They wander for a while. Matt is loving it. Rand and Perrin are, it's all right. It's, uh, you know, they're it's mostly pretty cool. just tagging along with Matt. They are in awe. Eventually, they start yawning, and they're like, you know, Rand is, maybe it's time to head back and, and get some shut-eye. But Matt, he isn't ready to quit. He even hints that, come on, there's more to look at. There might even be treasure. But wait, there's more. At this point, a man standing in the shadows of one of the nearby structures speaks up. He introduces himself as Mordeth. Hi, Mordeth. And sort of acts like they may have heard of him. He gets no reaction. Nope. So he goes on to explain he is a treasure hunter. I like treasure. Yeah. The boys reveal they are travelers on their way to Camelin. Mordeth shares that his search for treasure has been more successful than he expected. He offers to let them have a share, as much as they can carry, if they will first help him carry what he will be able to load onto his horses, which are waiting just outside of the city. Matt is like, yes, I told you there was treasure. Do a little happy dance. Mordeth leads them down into the depths of one of the structures to the treasure. Now, as they walk, Rand is a bit unsettled by Mordeth. Something just seems a bit off about him. He can't put his finger on it, though. For example, his clothes are like nothing he's ever seen. They seem far too ornate for someone out hunting treasure. But, I mean, maybe he dresses differently than I'm used to. They're not used to people outside the two rivers. But Rand's concerns are completely swept away when they reach their destination. A friggin' treasure room. Oh, yeah. They walk in and, wow, where's Smaug? I, yeah. I want to see where, our, where the dragon for this thing is. The room is full of gems and gold, coins and jewelry, goblets, plates and platters, gem-encrusted swords and daggers. We're talking mounds and mounds of treasure. They could not possibly carry even a pittance of this stuff. No one would even notice if they took things. Due to how late in the day it is, they suggest, we should come back and help you tomorrow. This is going to be work. Let us let us come back tomorrow. The others we're with will understand, and more of this like, uh, say what? What do you mean, others? Yeah, we've got others we're with here, and, you know, if we tell them about this, explain the need to help you, surely they'll be fine, and we can do this before we move on to, you know, getting back on the road to Tarvalon. What? Where was that? Tarvalon. Sorry, where was that? It's okay. Mordeth has the same reaction. I I'm saying it in the Norwegian. Tarvalon. The Norwegians are going to crucify you. Mordeth gets angry over this. That they lied to him, saying they were headed to Camelin. He looks angry, but also a little fearful. Perrin, trying to interpret what's going on, says, You know, we really, we'll still help you tomorrow. I mean, if you want. Kind of in a tone that, you know, if we've, you know, offended you and stuff, it's fine. We don't have to help you. It's, I mean, we won't bother you. Yeah, yeah, we cool, bro. And Mordeth is clearly uncertain what to do. At that moment, Rand, ding! recognizes the biggest reason why something fell off about Mordeth, and he says it out loud. You don't have a shadow. Dun dun dun. At that, all heck breaks loose. They discover Mordeth is not a man. He's some sort of spirit, shadow, ghost. 
he he goes off in a freak reaction and then starts saying you are all dead you are all dead 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 and then turns into a wisp of smoke kind of disappears out of crack in the wall can um we talk about this in a avo- trying to avoid spoilers you kind of wait for a moment because i have a hot take okay i'm intrigued so theoretically right more death doesn't have a shadow and we kind of see it would almost be implied it's because he almost is shadow mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. my hot take it's the other way around Mordeth doesn't have a shadow because he's gone so far the other direction he doesn't have shadow left that to be normal it is necessary to have both physical and shadow or rather light and shadow if you go too far either direction it's not good okay i'll be honest you've lost me and as a hot take no <laughs> thematically with full knowledge of the series knowing where mordeth comes from what he is i think it makes sense in a very poetic way to say he's not a good thing but he is without a shadow he is without shadow that has been exempt from him for reasons and i think it's a really cool way to think of it you can let us know on our social media or email if you understand what the heck Zach is talking about and explain it to me. Thank and you. off air, I'll try to explain it a little better to him so maybe we can talk about it another time because I am so excited by this idea. <laughs> Clearly. All right. Mordeth is gone. They're still in the treasure room. Perrin and Rand are like, nope, out. But stubbornly, Matt still wants to grab some treasure. I'm with Matt. Rand drags him along as they get out of there. And, you know, the resistance from Matt diminishes because the torches start going out. They're down in the depths of a building and the lights are disappearing. This this is scary. I go faster and faster and they just manage to get back out of the building where it's basically twilight now as the last torch goes out. They rush back to camp. And if you think of how you have walked through the dark from a friend's house after watching a horror movie on your way back home. You're jumpy at everything. That's the way they're moving. And they get back there and Nynaeve just gives them a tongue lashing. Where the heck were you? How dare you run off? And they're still kind of like, we are so happy to see you. She doesn't have her (laughs) stick at this point, right? No stick. Because she definitely would have hit them with it. Yes. In fact, Lan isn't there because he's out searching for them. But it's obvious very quickly something has happened to these boys. Moraine comes up to them and says, tell me what happened. And they do. They do. And when they mention the name Mordeth, she's like, did he touch you? Did he give you anything? Or did you do anything for him? I must know. Something about that name triggered a reaction. Rand says nothing happened. Nothing. Nothing like that. Perrin says all he did was like try to kill him. And Matt's like, well, we wanted the treasure, but I guess we couldn't take anything. So like... Matt's also a little ticked because he's like, you said we'd be safe here. He's right. She responds that, you know, perhaps it would have been smarter to be wary of a place that even Trollocs are afraid to enter. Hmm. Now we get to the story of why the Trollocs are afraid to enter here. The true story of Eridhul. And the origin of the name Shadow Logoth. Eridhul was once one of the Ten Nations, part of the Second Covenant like Menethrin. But not part of Menethrin. No, another of those ten nations. During the dark times of the Trolloc Wars, when things really looked like they were going badly for mankind, the king of Hall had a new advisor appear, a man named Mordeth. Hmm, that sound familiar? Yeah, yeah. He, and he went very, um, grandma warm tongue. 
very grandma word tongue. That's that's a good one. He twists the perspectives of the king. Everything starts getting negative and and isolationist. And uh, gee, I've never heard of any nation getting isolationist uh, ever. Yeah, and suspicious and paranoid more and more. And the people of Eridhal used to be this great nation, and now they're just turning in towards themselves then turning in on themselves and eventually even against themselves. So much so, so consumed by suspicion and hate, they disappear. And all that was left was something called Madashar. That's not how it's pronounced. I said it wrong. I didn't even, I mean, look at the spelling. Yep. (laughs) Mashadar. That's what I meant. Hear what I meant, not what I said. Thank you very much. And apparently this Mordeth, who in some way, shape, or form, was controlled by it, was controlling it, was intermixed created, in some complicated so. way. Mordeth is trapped in Eridhole by Mashadar. He can't get away. We don't even really know what Mordeth was. Yeah, I mean, was he a man? At this originally? point, he's definitely, if he's alive, 2,000 years old. He's something paranormal, for sure. But Mashadar is now this entity, this thing that still is part of Shadar Lugath, that is what's left of the paranoia, the negativity, the hate of the people that once lived here. It's not a happiest... If Disneyland's the happiest place on Earth, this is the least happy place on Earth. This is the opposite of Disney. This is Yensid. Yens... I went there. Yensid. Yes, Yensid land. Wow, you got that from us. Shadar Lugath, Yensid land. What trademark you get? (laughs) I'm making a t-shirt. <laughs> Join our Patreon and maybe one day we'll Other make that t-shirt. Do? Why not? Would, would Disney let us get away with that? I, I don't, don't know. know. I'd make the t-shirt. <laughs> Yensid land. Do it upside down Disney this like is, castle. This is headcanon for us now. <laughs> Yensid land. There's one more tradition to this or belief that if Mordeth ever convinces someone to accompany him to the walls of Shadar Logoth, he will finally be able to leave and escape Mashadar, but wearing the body of the person he convinced to go with him to the walls because he will consume that person's soul. That's not ominous at all. Ish. So now everyone is appropriately freaked out, but Moraine assures them she has placed wards around their camp. In fact, she says, boys, if you hadn't taken off earlier, you would know I had warded this area. Yeah, you you would have been, been safe staying here. Stay close to the Aes Sedai. So get some sleep. They try and tossing and turning, but everyone eventually falls asleep except Rand. He just cannot fall asleep. What an insomniac. Yeah, he lays there, eyes closed, not sleeping. So he's still awake when Lan does finally come back. But Lan's got news. He shares that the Trollocs are actually now inside the walls of the city They're searching. They're searching very poorly, but nevertheless, there's so many of them, they're going to find us within the hour. It could be 15 minutes. It could be 45, but they will find us. Mergerol have forced the Trollocs to enter, which poses the question. What's what's... forcing the Mergerol? Yes, there's something out there. So they get everyone up, and despite it being nighttime, they must execute Moraine's plan. A plan that she would have liked to do before, but she was too exhausted to pull off, which is why they tried to rest here. But she took a nice nap now, so... That's right. Yay, Nynaeve's herbs! So now they're going to do it. And the plan is, we're going to make a break for the Aranel. We'll get there. I will cast a ward around us to keep the shadow spun off while you guys build some rafts, and we'll float down the river. 
And we, we get a moment, it confirms something that we talked about, and I said, they do actually mention Shadowspawn don't like crossing yes. water. Yes. Um, they say it's deep water rather than running water. Works but for me. it is a thing that actually gets confirmed here. We were correct. Final chapter for today, chapter 20, Dust on the Wind, Q, Kansas. Dust on the... No, it's dust in the wind. All we oh, are is dust, dust in, the in the wind. Well, my joke just died. But it's good enough. Carry on, my wayward son. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> so, they're all back on their horses. Moraine and Lan take the lead, with the rest following behind... After just a bit, a gap has opened up between the Aes Sedai and the water, charging ahead, and the rest of the group that's kind of huddled together, looking around, we're freaked out. I mean, to be fair to them, it's not just fear, it's also the horses. Some okay. horses are a little more trained right. for hard pushes, like an Aes Sedai and a warder's horse. That's true. Moraine happens to look back and sees something that causes her to make them stop! There is this tendril of silvery gray fogs that has stretched out across the roadway between them. Is it really silvery gray? Yeah, that's what it says. You can look that up, but I'm Almost not more guessing. of a mist color? It's, it's a silvery gray. Not a shadow, a mist. Not a shadow. It has like a thickness to it. It almost looks like a tentacle. It's, whoa, what the heck? Again, we're not that kind of fantasy podcast just thrown out there. We're going to ignore the fact that my dad isn't following. Wow. And we're just going to move on. Okay. You can explain that offline or is that too mm -mm. embarrassing? Oh, boy. I mean, I can, but I shouldn't. No, I suddenly don't want you to tell me. I will anyways. So, Moraine <laughs> identifies this. This is not just fog. This is Mashadar. This is what Mashadar looks like. Mashadar is this huge thing part of the city, but you'll see it as these tentacles in the darkness. Stop it! <laughs> now that I mentioned it, I can't stop. Man. <laughs> it's my own fault. Is it good that I mark this as not appropriate for children? Yes. Oh, sheesh. <laughs> All right. This would be a great time for our Patreon to show up, you know, but... Uh... <laughs> uh... Anyways, she explains, this thing, don't let it touch you. If it touches you, you will die. Boom. No question. I can't help you. You die. It's far too powerful for her to do anything to it. I mean, she could strike it with the power, but it's so massive and powerful it would heal itself before any real effect happened. So I know it would be, like, really hard, but why haven't we tried to, like, capture some of this in a box? Touch it, you die? Yeah, but, like, the box wouldn't kill you, and it's a way to, like, instant I kill anybody. a box would hold it. Maybe a really powerful, enchanted, made-with-both-halves-of-the-power box. I'm assuming you have to cut a piece off. I don't think it works well, really well that way. Uh, some of it might not be that thick. Meh. You could just, like, close the box. I think most people have said, you know, Eret Hall, let's stay away. Yeah, you're probably That's right. Yeah. Cut off as they are, Moraine gives them all directions to head to the river. She even points at a star. See that star? That's your that target. Just follow that star till you hit the river, and I will find you. Go! She and Lan, they head off. The rest head off. The rest of this chapter is a... Mess. That's not the word. I was hoping you'd go with an inappropriate word that would fit this. Is a shit show? Thank you. A That's exactly the word. A... Oh, okay. You can stop now. <laughs> but them trying to get out of the town, they run into Trollocs. They run into more of Mashadar every time they turn around. And the end result is that while they mostly get out of town, all we see is that Perrin and Egwene make it out yep. together. They don't know where anyone else is. Yep. Matt, Rand, and Tom make it out. 
Yes. And actually, go back to Perrin and Egwene, they kind of make it out separately, but right at the walls, they see each other and they connect. Cause, so they had been isolated, found each other as they're exiting, and they get out. Nobody knows where the heck Nynaeve is. She's just yeah. gone. She's fine. She made it all the way from the two rivers to Barrowland <laughs> by herself. She can find them again. Perrin and Egwene, they race to the river with Trollocs on their heels, both on their horses. Perrin and his horse tumble into the river. He loses his horse. He loses track of Egwene. What a poor horse. And Perrin makes it across the river. Now I'm picturing this is like Mississippi River, but not in New Orleans. Mississippi River like in maybe Minnesota. This thing's deep. It's a decent size. It's a decent size. River. And it requires... It's got a current. Yeah, it requires a strong swimmer to make it across without having significant issues, and you will be downstream. So Perrin makes it across. He has no idea what's happened to Egwene. He's on the far side, wet, cold, and alone. Mm Mm-hmm. Back to Rand, Matt, and Tom. They manage to make it to the river, also with Trollocs hot on their heels. They discover a large trader's boat tied up ashore for the night as they get there. So they hurry towards it, yelling about Trollocs and wake up! And Rand jumps aboard and he lands on a sailor who's sleeping just over the rail. The sailor just, and then holds up his hands. Don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. Uh, take anything you want. You can even have the boat. Just don't hurt me. What a wimp. <laughs> yeah. He's uh, he's not a good, solid guy. Now, all around them, sailors are waking up and all, but Rand has got this guy freaking out in front of him. And he's before he can even respond to say, I'm not here to rob you. Come down. What? Oh, shit. There's a trollic behind him, too. Yeah, he gets woof from behind, knocked silly. His sword goes flying. He he dazedly looks up, and there's that Trolloc right on the rail, clearly in position for the next strike to kill him. And then all of a sudden, the ship tips slightly to the side, and a boom comes swinging across out of the dark and takes the Trolloc out overboard. It very specifically states in the book, it, you hear the crunch of several bones yes, as it tumbles over. That thing's solid. dead before it hits the water. He gets shakily to his feet. And looks around and sees, okay, we're okay. The Miraculously. Boat is away from shore now. The sailors managed to keep all the trolls off. Cue Captain Doman. Oh, man, one of the best characters in this book. Remember this name. It'll come back. Bail Doman. He has the most ridiculous and amazing... Sorry. He do have the most amazing and ridiculous accent that there be. Which I did want to talk about. Absolutely. He's an Ilianer. He's from Ilian, and apparently all the people from Ilian talk like this. And it is more or less really bad stereotypical pirates. Man, he's Captain Jack Sparrow, but cooler. And fatter. <laughs> and not super fat. He's a, he's a big man big with guy. muscle. Yeah, he's not fat. He's muscle, but he's a big but man. But he's big. He's not scrawny. He's a bear. So we meet Captain Doman as he comes up to chew out Gelb, who was the cowardly sailor that Rand landed on. He loosely says he's going to be, like, fired. Yeah, when they dock. For, for reasons, and legit reasons, because first he chews him out for not properly securing the boom. You know, the boom that swung across out of nowhere and happened to take out a Trolloc. But, but it could have taken out a person. Th- that thing was supposed to be tightly secured, and Gelb says, I did, I had secured it. Then Doman says, okay, well, fine, whatever, but, you know, you were on watch. How do these guys and Trollocs all come upon us out of nowhere with no warning? We could have all been murdered in the night. You fell asleep. Notably, Baeldomon is not that confused about the appearance of Trollocs, which should be notable because people don't think they're real. 
Now, reason for that is not revealed in this chapter. No, but it is something to note. So Gelb is supposed to be on watch. Now, remember how we met Gelb when Rand landed on him? Yeah. Asleep? Yeah. So he clearly was asleep on watch, but what does Gelb do? He blames Rand. He says, I, of course he I wasn't asleep. Uh, this guy, he, he crept up on me and, and knocked me out. Yeah, on the forehead? The, the bruise is on his forehead. He crept up on you from the front? Well, you could have crept up from behind and you go, wait, I hear something and turn around and hit. So, I mean, I guess maybe, but And he no. says, he must be a dark friend. He's in league with the Trollocs. And Gelb's like, I am sick and tired of you. It's clear Gelb is a grade A screw up. He's a slacker. Yeah. So that's where he does very clearly say, you're done, man. As soon as we get to Whitebridge, you are off my ship. Now, I do want to go back to Doman's accent for a moment, just because... You do be going back to yeah. the accent. Yeah. I love it. Mm -hmm. I think it's a really funny, great thing. Much to love. I tried it for a character in my D&D campaign. Really hard to stick with? My players crucified me. <laughs> they hated me for it. They, after Maybe a very, if you had no, no, worn after, just a beard and shaved the upper lip, it might have worked ew. better. Because that's Doman's look. After a very short time, the players quickly told me, that they just weren't going to interact with that NPC ever again because they didn't want to hear me talk like that. And I was very sad. Well, we like him. We do. Captain Doman takes Tom and the boys to the cabin of his ship then, which we learn is called the Spray. Doman wants to know what's going on. What's going on? Tom spins a tale of the boys being his apprentices. He's a gleeman. He's teaching them the trade and they are bound for Camelin. Well, some of that wasn't a lie. But he goes on to spin a much larger tale. And he basically tells everything they've done since they left the two rivers. Kind of. But from a different perspective. He talks about how they fell in with a company of adventurers after having wintered, snowed in in the mountains of mist, and then coming down and traveling through because they learned of a city, an abandoned city with treasure, so they got a group of adventurers together and went to it. But others had learned that they knew of this place. So they were dogged by dark friends and shadow spawn. And when they got to this city, Arid Hall, they found treasure. But then they found dreadlords and more shadow spawn. And they barely escaped and they were separated from their friends. And then you found us right here with Trollocs right on our tail. Honestly, it's a great story that I would have loved to read almost as much as I love to read the actual story. Rand and Matt practically don't know what to say. They're like, oh man, but hey, he's a gleeman. He Apparently they're tale. good at lying. Yeah. Doman is clearly skeptical of the tale, but he saw the Trollocs, you know, he saw the end of the story. So fine. Let's move on to the subject of payment. You're with me on my ship. No one gets a free ride. Not even my own mother gets a free ride. So what can you pay? And Tom's like, well, we got nothing. I, I've got the tools of my trade and that's all. Well, there'd be nobody riding my ship for free. I'd be throwing someone overboard before I allow that. And he sees Rand's sword and well, that looks like a mighty fine sword. I'd be interested perhaps in a trade, the sword for passage. Well, your accent keeps shifting all over the place. Yeah, I it's went great. to the British guy there. I love it. it. And Ran reacts rather uh, aggressively to that. No, can't have my sword. So, okay, it looks like we're going to have to get you off the ship. You'll have to swim. 
And Tom looks about to speak when Rand pulls out the silver coin Moraine had given him. How about this? And Matt pulls his out too. Doman scoops those babies up. They look nice. Yep, that'd be fine. Apparently two silver is enough for three people down a river. Tom is clearly of the opinion that's quite fine for what you're going to do here. They've overpaid. Big time. It is what it is. Bail Doman is a merchant. He will make a profit when he can. Absolutely. Tom definitely was looking to try and like do a pay your way, <laughs> play your way kind of thing. Yeah. And he mentions this before we get to that, though. Rand is like, so that's plenty. Can we now go pick up the rest of our people? They're surely to the riverbank now. And Doman's like, um, we're miles downriver. This what thing do you moves think? fast. We pull away from shore and just sit there? It doesn't work like that. The current is strong right now. And when there's Trollocs out there, our people are rowing extra. <laughs> we are totally gone. We And I'm not going back to Trolloc land. So, nope, sorry. Now, two final insights of the chapter. Doman shares this wasn't his first recent run-in with Trollocs. Which I mentioned. Yep. In fact, it started out up in Saldea. Or Saldea. Saldea. Depends on how you say it. There's lots of different pronunciations. I always said Saldea. But it I looks like Saldea. Saldea. They wintered up there because the river froze early, so they got stuck there. He was like, and it's miserable in the winter. They I did don't say recommend it as a destination. They did say it's been a hard winter everywhere. And the Trollocs were attacking. They were tracking farms and villages far more aggressively than a typical winter, and they were even up to the city walls. So he's seen them there, and we got out as soon as we could. The other thing is that Ran and Matt <laughs> are confirmed again as country bumpkins, because this is where Tom yeah. chides them. We could have got away with me just entertaining them every evening. This is a very common theme <sighs> in these patience. first couple books. They just don't have worldliness yet. And to be honest, some of them never get it. Yeah. So that is where we will leave for today. A little longer than some of our episodes. This might be our longest, but not too bad still. No. Again, we uh, encourage you, if you've been enjoying and appreciating what you're hearing, subscribe and rate and review us anywhere you listen to your podcast. Let us know how we're doing. Give us a little feedback. We'd love to hear from you in any way, whether through a rating and reviewing or through our email at fantasyfortheages at gmail.com, our Patreon, social medias on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or even come and talk to us on Discord. We have a growing audience showing up on Discord. More people bopping in every day. So come be part of the party. Get in on the conversations. And you mentioned our Patreon page. If you want to support us for what we're doing, that's fantastic. Helps to pay for the microphones that we're now talking in, (laughs) which is awesome. This is an act of love on our part. But if you do choose to be a patron on Patreon, there are some extra benefits. Some people will receive this episode early, for example, and other people choose to interact with us over our live recordings. You too could enjoy this benefit. Just check out our Patreon page and see what you think. And with that, we'll talk to you next time.